Welcome to our How to Wow Summer Run 2023 and a series of wondrous conversations recorded live at Carfest last year. Carfest is a not-for-profit well-being, music, food, superstar and motorcar festival that has so far raised circa £25 million for UK children's charities. Check out what's happening this year by going to carfest.org carfest.org that is where you'll see our best ever lineup of guest hosts and rock and rollers yet many of them staying with us the whole weekend including the likes of Richard Hammond Rob Brydon Jimmy Carr Lee Mack Bryony Gordon Eddie Izzard Rick Astley Craig David Russell and Laura Brand Texas McFly the actual village people Alex Horn Angela Hartnett Matt Tebbett Michael Keynes Atul Kutcher Freya Ridings Ben Miller Dr Rungan Chatterjee Dr Reapy The Happy Pair Melanie Sykes the feelings, Sophie Ellis Baxter, Razorlight, Gokwan Reef, the Bootleg Beatles, and only Peter Flipping Andre, plus all the amazing car content, of course. Go to carfest.org now and come join us this August bank holiday weekend. All right, from that very event, let's cue a conversation, a fascinating conversation between sporting superheroes Matty Lee, Paula Radcliffe, Steve Cram, and Victoria Pendleton. <laughs> Oh my God, look, look at the sporting greatness on stage here. Can we give them all a massive, proper, carpet, huge cheer? We have world records. We have Olympic, world and European medals coming out of, you know, all sorts of pockets. And an awful lot of work goes into winning those medals, setting those world records. I think maybe we'll start with that. Matty, yeah. you won gold at Tokyo last year with Tom Daly. It's one of the great, I mean, one of the great yeah. moments of the game, certainly for, for British fans. And you've all brought us so much joy. Thank you, first of all. But just how much training goes into that 1.7 seconds that we see from the top of the 10 metre board <laughs> just to the wall. Because, you know. Yeah, no, it's, it's actually, it's kind of crazy because we, we, like, we all train like every single day, almost. We have Sunday, well, I have Sunday off. Um, and it's all for just a little split second in time and it can go so wrong so quickly. And it's like, I almost, I, like it's, it's kind of similar to like taking six penalties. That's what diving is. You've got one chance to do one dive, and if you mess it up, you, you can't go back and redo it, you can't like, I don't know. So it's always just like, it's weird. And then it's just over. And luckily at the, at the, at the Olympics, like it, everything went exactly how we wanted it. And it, yeah, it, it made everything worth it. And it was honestly the maddest experience I've ever, ever experienced. But I mean, just to get to the top of the, you know, to the diving board, it, I mean, it, your body must go through an awful lot training, diving, hitting the water time and time again at that sort of speed. Yeah, like people think we just train off that 10 meter board every single day, but we can't because if I was to do that, genuinely my, my triceps would just tear. Um, and so we have a limited number that we can actually do on 10 meter, like in, in a week or in a month. Um, so we can't like go over it, we can't go under it. So it's a, it's a weird one because that is what we compete is that on the 10 meter board, but we're actually, we don't, most of our training, like 80% of training, isn't done on that, on that board. So it's always, it's always a weird one. And we have to obviously do loads of strength training to like make sure our, like my mainly upper body can deal with the pressure of going through the water. Because it is, I, think it's, uh, we, I think we go like 32 miles per hour when we hit the water. And obviously, yeah, and like obviously you, you need to 
be ready to take that. And, you know, there's been times where I've landed, landed really wrong and it's really, really hurt. Like, it literally feels like you've hit concrete. Um, well, not quite. What's worse, belly flop or back dive? <laughs> belly flop or what? <laughs> belly flop or back dive? Um, oh, I don't know. I actually, I've been really lucky. I've not actually never had serious incidents yet. I'm obviously still training, so that could still happen. <laughs> yeah, hopefully not. Um, but I'd, I'd say a back flop because, like, you, you don't see it coming. Like, with a belly flop, you see the water and you're like, oh, okay, this is going to hurt. <laughs> like, you just kind of prep yourself for it, but then obviously the back drop, you, you don't see anything and, and it's a big old hit to the, to the chest. And I've, I've seen my, my old single partner, Daniel Goodfellow, he, he slipped out of a dive and landed on his back on the water from 10 meter and like instantly was coughing up blood. Like, it's, it, yeah, like it can, sorry to be gruesome, but um, it can be a really like risky, obviously risky sport, like it's a concrete board, like, and we, we kind of go that close to it and we kind of have to, and obviously it can go really yeah. wrong and that's why we train so long because we don't want to push the boundaries too much. Vic, how about you in training? Well, nothing like that. I mean, I must admit when I'm watching the diving and uh, you, you, they get so close, you're like, <gasps> aren't you? You're like, because it's just yeah. really nerve wracking. But mind you, I mean, the inside of a velodrome isn't exactly a safe space. <laughs> no. Well, no. I mean, I can probably relate to sort of hitting the deck at sort of quite high speeds at 30, 40. But it's mostly splinters on the velodrome, thankfully. Hopefully you don't stop dead. You just keep sliding, which means your skin suit is disintegrating um, because it just melts. And you're likely to have some pretty gnarly splinters for a friend or a member of the team to, to pick out for you. When you were at your peak training, you yeah. know, when you were really in a sort of a big old block, what sort of thing were you doing every week? So we were doing a lot of strength training because... For me, it was all about being stronger, trying to put some muscle on. So I spent a lot of time in the gym, training twice a day, six days a week. Um, and that was, I mean, I couldn't have done it anymore if I tried. You're always trying to do just enough training to get through the week and then just enough recovery that you can do it next week. And it was just finding that fine balance. But there was, I had nothing left. It was a nice feeling, though. I enjoyed it. You know, I, think I couldn't have done any more if I tried. Um, and it's your job, so you have to commit to it 100%. I love it. How about the athletes, Steve, back uh, in the day? I didn't train. <laughs> no, pure, pure talent, mate. Um, I can't remember. <laughs> so long ago. No, it, it's... I think, I think what, what everybody will say to you is what... Can anyone remember a bloke called Brendan Foster? Big guy, used to commentate. Yeah, he actually used to run. And <laughs> Brendan always used to tell me the story of when he first started running, training seriously, and his dad didn't get that he was having to run every... And he said, what have you done tonight, son? He goes, oh, I did an eight-mile run, you know, and what, next day, what did you do? Oh, we did 12 times 400. And he went, you're getting it all wrong. And Brendan was running the mile in those days. And he said to his dad, well... What do you think I should do? He goes, what you need to do is to get down there every night and run that mile as hard as you can till you get really good at it. <laughs> now, so that's the idea, isn't it? We all think to get good at something, practice, 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 the same. But actually, you have to pull in all of the... Comp You've got to understand all of the components and put them all together. Strength, you're, you've, 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 got to, you've got to learn how to twist in the air. <laughs> uh, you know, so you've got to do all those things separately and then when you get to competition, you put them all together. For runners, it is, even for a miler, 
might be doing nearly as much mileage as Paula was doing at times because it's an endurance event. Running, <laughs> all right, nearly. Really hard. One week. Um, but let's say, you know, for me, 90, 100 miles a week. And, but you're also doing sprint work, not quite as fast as Usain Bolt, etc. But, you know, so it's just all of that mix and a bit of gym and all the rest of it. But, yeah, um, nobody gets anything without it. It doesn't matter what you do. If, you, you know, if you've just passed your A-levels, you've got work for it, right? You yeah. know, you, you, people have, you have to, to get results, you have to put work in. So the point is that we were all happy to do it. And you, Paula, I mean... I think mileage, that, mileage queen. Yes, but also all of the other elements. And that's what Steve's saying there is really important. You have to enjoy doing it. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, we used to joke about it. Uh, I used to kind of liken going away to altitude training to just locking myself in a cage. Um, and basically, I was just training, recovering, sleeping. But I liked it. And you see progress in it. And it's kind of like a personal battle in the same way that the marathon's a little bit of a personal battle anyway. So the training, seeing little improvements in each area. Um, and I used to do bits of everything. So yeah, I would do, not very quick, but sp some sprint training, a lot of weights training. Um, a lot of people are surprised at that and think, well, do you really need to clean and squat, um, bench press and do circuits for the marathon? Um, but that's actually where you're storing your, your glycogen is in the muscle. So you need, to, you need to be strong and you need to have that muscle strength to keep you strong when everything's falling apart. And so, on, you know, on, the, on that subject of, of training, I mean, lots of people here, I run, I'm sure loads of people here run, yes, runners, cyclists, yeah. platform divers, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yes, divers. <laughs> it's so cool, isn't it, when you can get up on the diving board and just, like, do a, mm -hmm. do a somersault or two, and it just, suddenly, you're the coolest person in Putney Leisure <laughs> <laughs> What advice could you give, you know, us mere mortals about how to, you know, how to get better at what we do when we could never aspire to, to the dizzying heights we have on the stage here? Let's go the other way around. Paula, we'll start with I you. I think it's about setting targets with intermediate targets as well and seeing those little rewards, those little step forward that oh, I did that a little bit better than I did it two months ago um, and I'm going to credit myself on that and I'm going to keep moving forward to the target. So it is about knowing that you're always trying to get just a little bit better and in any area and kind of going back to, to that with the weight story. So when I first started training for the marathon, I had a guy called Max Jones who was actually the endurance coach um, and head performance coach for British Athletics at the time but had been a throws coach setting my weights program and he'd never done a marathon runner before so I, I called him and I said there's something wrong with my cleans and I couldn't clean anywhere close to, to what I could do last week so he went, well just walk me through what you did the last couple of days so I said well did a track session then I did a run at the night then I did two runs yesterday and then I did 22 miles this morning and <laughs> I can't clean this afternoon he went, well that's why yeah. so it is just about making sure that it's realistic too and you're not trying to, to set targets that are going to be demoralising set targets that you can achieve and then try and go beyond those. And what's it like, Steve, when you start getting some success? Because, you know, all of us lot, we run and we run and, uh, or, or cycle or dive. or We try and get as good as we can. But then all of a sudden, all you're doing, all you're doing you know, you start off running. You, you once told me that, you know, the story of how you started running around the block. Um, and then, you, you know, you get better and better and better. And then you start, I guess getting recognised and getting up at the pointy end of the sport. And that's the bit that we'll never experience. What's that like? Oh, 
I don't think any of us, I don't think, uh, go into it for that at all. That is a byproduct. Well, you want to get as good as you can. You want to be as good as you, you can as good setting as you world can records. In something. Um, everybody has that in them. I'm going to tell a little story, which is quite funny. Again, and has anyone heard of Kevin Keegan? I have to be careful. <laughs> so he told me once he was in a night when he was at Newcastle, and um, you know he's ultra famous, so people are going to come up and talk to you. And he's like, you know, and you can judge how good a footballer Kevin Keegan was. I took to a staff arguing in the pub. But a guy came up to him and they were asking autographs and he was, Kevin was being Kevin and signing them all. And then this guy was like, I think you're good. Don't take this the wrong way, you know. But, but um, you haven't been playing well, though, have you? You know, because <laughs> it was his back end of his career at Newcastle. And Kevin normally, and he, he said, well... That's not a very nice thing to say. You know, you're affecting my confidence. And, yeah, I, you know, this is my life. This is what I do. I'm doing my best, you know. And the guy goes, well, no, no offence. You know, you're doing all right, but you're just not as good as you used to be. And, you know, and Kevin said, well, hold on a minute. He goes, what do you do? He goes, well, I'm a plumber. He goes, well, how about if you came to my house and you did some plumbing and, you said, and I said to you, I don't think you've done a very good job. He goes, you'd be probably be right. Goes, <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, so it's... <laughs> So it's about how we perceive ourselves a little bit, and then you have to deal with all this other stuff. Now, that other stuff is down to your personality. And some people dive in and embrace it and love it, and others want to don't like it and want to carry on doing what they're doing in their own way. And you have to find your own way through it. And when it happened to me, I, I was quite young. I was 17 on the back page of the Daily Mirror. But I had these other two guys called Seb Cohen and Steve Ovet. Um, <laughs> to watch, there were three, actually they're about 19 years older than me, but um, <laughs> they're not quite. But you know, when you've got someone else around in your, you, you probably had Chris Hoy, and you know, those people just before you were suddenly Chris Boardman, and you're going, oh, how are they? So you just find your way, you know, you find your way. I don't do social media. Um, everybody has a, you know, that, that's something now, it's just for me, I like what I do, I like commentating, I like being out there doing things, and, and I like doing this, I like talking to people and meeting to people, but social media is not for me. So for everybody else, you, you just find your own way to do it. How did you find it, Vic? What do I find? About How did you find it when you suddenly getting became... Getting famous, you know, no. Yeah, when somebody, people started recognising you in the street. Yeah, they don't really recognise me very often. I think I'm quite lucky in that respect. First of all, I'm a lot smaller than I look on the television. <laughs> um, and if I had a pound for every time someone said that to me, I would be so rich right now. Um, I think I'm slightly underwhelming, which is, you know, I'm like, yeah, fair one, OK. Um, and I do change my appearance quite a lot, so it's probably my own fault. But I just wanted to be really good at something. And uh, going back to your other question before that about how you sort of, Paula suggested setting goals and committing yeah. to goals. The other piece of advice I would always say is rope some other people in to do it with you. Because I think if you do it with a team or you like get some friends together and saying, we are doing this event, you'll, it will be a lot easier to train and you'll push yourself a lot harder and it'll be a lot more enjoyable to share it with them as well. So uh, that's something I would definitely say. But he's famous. I'm not famous. No. Yes, you are. <laughs> you all no. are. But you're, I mean, you're, you're quite recently famous, I guess, from, from last summer, and then you did I'm a Celeb, of course. How are you finding it? Um, it, was, it's, it is really weird. Like, I, like obviously, when we start sport, we, we mainly start it because... Well, I started diving because I, I really enjoyed it, and it was fun. Um, and going back to, like... The, and you were a gymnast, I guess, first. Yeah, yeah, I was. That's usually I was, the way in, I isn't was, it? Yeah, I was a gymnast beforehand, and then I did them both for a little bit, and then, look, luckily, because... Luckily, I think I chose the right one. Um, 
do we reckon? <laughs> um, and yeah, like, and, and I just, like, as long as you love something and enjoy it, then go ahead at it. And like, I wasn't amazing for a long time, but it's because I was still having fun, I stuck with it. And, and then obviously then things started to progress and I started to go to some like competitions representing Great Britain, like as a junior and, and then so forth. But um, with, yeah, with the past two years have been crazy for me because I don't know, you never really, I, I always dreamt of becoming an Olympic gold medalist, but I don't know, sometimes you think, well, it's just a dream, like, is it going to happen? Um, and then it, it did. And um, it was a weird one because obviously it was like no spectators, like no one there to kind of like, I don't know, feel that buzz with, which was, which was, which was a shame. But as soon as I got home, like I think I was the first, because we had to leave the village two days after you're competing, which is kind of rubbish because usually you stay and enjoy all, all the other sports. Okay, just taking a pause to tell you about AG1, also supporting this particular podcast. AG1, I'm asked all the time about the one thing I do to take care of my health. If I could pick only just one product, it would be foundational nutrition and AG1 is a top foundational nutrition product. I can't think of any other daily routine that pays off as well as AG1, according to people that I really look up to who really know their stuff. AG1 is recommended by such luminaries as Rich Roll, the amazing professor, Dr. Andrew Schieberman, Tim Ferriss, and our one, our only Dr. Rangan Chatterjee. AG1 was created in 2010 and has helped millions of mornings begin on a healthier foundation ever since. My wife takes it, I take it, even our 14-year-old son Noah takes it now, he swears by it. AG1 is not only a high-quality, all-in-one solution for daily foundational nutrition, it also saves you time, confusion and money compared to individual supplements that can add up to a small fortune. AG1 replaces your multivitamin, probiotic and much more in one simple drinkable habit ag1 is great bang for my buck as it replaces a lot of these other supplements like a daily multivitamin minerals pre and probiotics for my gut health adaptogens and a greens blend literally all in one scoop of powder i think there's 75 different supplements in each scoop science-driven formulation of vitamins probiotics and whole food source nutrients ag1 is raising the standard for quality in the supplement category just one daily serving gives me the comprehensive foundational nutrition i need Go to drinkag1.com slash how to wow. That's drinkag1.com slash how to wow. Give it a go. Check it out. Let us know how it lands. And now back to the wow. Um, yeah, usually the swimmers annoy everyone else yeah, because they're, they're, they're done, done straight away. Yeah. and they party they're for the second yeah. week. Yeah. 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 Go to bed. We're trying to relax. Here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and then I was the first gold medalist back on home soil, which was really weird for me to experience and I don't know it's just been weird like I have I, I'm not used to it like people come up to me and reckon but it's never too much like it's actually a lovely and a like, lovely amount because I sometimes forget that I've achieved what I've done and someone will come over to me and be like oh like hi mate like well done like you're, you're awesome whatever and I'm like oh like thank you like <laughs> I kind of forgot I don't know um so yeah it's, it's all new it's, it's weird but it's 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 nothing. I don't think it's anything crazy. I'm not. I'm not super famous. Well, no one's ever going to come up to any of you and go like the Kevin Keegan thing. You're not playing well enough anymore because football can be a bit like that. There was but a few athletics. people this morning with some barbed comments about my running. <laughs> oh yeah, mind Just you. Just because I was, that was going your slow. <laughs> and my outfit. Yeah. Anyone run this morning? 
Yeah. Oh, well done. That really did put the fun into Fun Run this morning, wouldn't it? It, it was did. just It was just a great... We were all running around this a couple of times, and it was, everyone was in fancy dress, and everyone was chatting. It was lovely. It was what running should be like. Mm. Um, well, I, I tell you what, something like that, I find, and I ran around with, with Mary, our eight-year-old, and you know, we had a lovely chat, and she hadn't run with me for, for ages because we got lazy and we were on holiday. I find that sort of thing a real highlight, but then you know, I haven't got actual highlights to compare it to. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you guys have. <clears throat> so, let's, I mean, let's start with you, Matty. You mentioned last summer and there was no spectators, but it's an Olympic gold medal, which is the absolute pinnacle of the sport. But then a couple of weeks ago in Birmingham, everyone's going absolutely yeah. you know, crazy for you winning yeah. the gold medal. Where, where, where are you going to rank them? Um, it, it was like, Commonwealth was honestly incredible. Like, and I felt like with, with the success at Tokyo, with no spectators, none of that. Like, I felt like I, I put a lot of pressure on myself there, which was not the best thing for Birmingham because, like, it got me down a bit. But luckily, I managed to get out of that and train well and compete well. But, like, because I was like, I'm going to finally feel that, like, that buzz that I feel like you're meant to feel at an Olympics. Um, and the home crowd was, like, not many people get to, like, you probably experience it once in your career, like, a, a home games, uh, if it was, like, London 2012 or... Birmingham or whatever, and like I was just so grateful for it. And it's obviously the Olympics is the Olympics, and that's that will always stand above anything for me. But like just experiencing the noise that the crowd was making at Birmingham, it's like it was a special one for me. And Commonwealth, I've, I had a, I didn't do very well at the last one in Gold Coast, like, it, and I thought, oh, maybe I've got like, and I missed out on Glasgow because of surgery. So I was like, maybe Commonwealth is just not my thing. Um, and that was the last medal in all the comps. That was the last medal um, for me to try and get. Like, and then I, not, I haven't got a gold medal in everything yet. I want to, though. Uh, <laughs> uh, but that was the last medal out of all the competitions to get. And it actually, especially my bronze medal in the individual. Because obviously people know me for synchro with Tom. Um, but I also want to kind of do it on my own as well. So like, I think the individual medal for me was like, really, really special. Mm. Victoria, I'm guessing the words London 2012 can't be far away when I mean, we ask you about highlights. Nothing will really ever compare. And sometimes I say these words and I sound like I've said them a thousand times, but it will never get boring to, for me to think back and imagine how it felt. Because, you know, the velodrome is not a big arena, but it's like an amphitheatre. So the sound is really intense and it almost vibrates through your like, rib cage, like you're standing next to a speaker, if you've ever done that before. Um, and it was... It, it really lifted you. It, it was almost like, like a dream. It didn't feel real. And it did definitely carry people. I and mean, I definitely saw with the athletes, especially ones that hadn't performed in front of a, a real crowd supporting them before, coming from, you know, from Tokyo. And then you, really, you could see the enjoyment of being able to celebrate and in their success and have the support. It was a lovely thing, and I feel very grateful for having experienced that a few times in my career because, wow, <laughs> you, if you could just offer that up to everybody in their lives, I think they would all describe it as one of the high points. Do you ever, I mean, it was almost exactly 10 years ago, just over, like days over 10 years Ooh. ago. Do you ever watch it back? Do you ever no. watch you back well, no, winning? Sometimes when I, do, when I do events and they'll like put it on a screen and I'll be like... <laughs> like reliving it almost like because it was close okay so it's oh, like, oh, like it's not going to happen so I'm always willing myself over the line every time I watch it I find it absolutely excruciating do you imagine the lactate no but quite often when I'm 
even when I've done stuff with commentary, watching other sports, I find myself like doing this pedaling thing under the table, like keep your feet still. I'm like, <laughs> I can't because it's like it's the feeling, that intensity of feeling. It's so special. I don't think I've ever asked you to, and I know you really well, what the highlight of your careers were. So, starting with, let's start with you, Paula. Uh, um, it's really, really difficult. Um, which one am I You've never say? thought of this before. I have, but I usually. <laughs> <laughs> She's won the world championships. <laughs> She's I usually set a world pick record three. that lasted 17 yeah. years. <laughs> so, I do usually pick three. <laughs> Um, one of those is the World Cross Country in 2001 um, in Antwerp, because I'd won it as a junior in 1992, and that had kind of been my trigger, okay, I can be good at this. Um, and I'd set another goal after that, and it was to try and win the senior title to go with it, and I came second, third, fourth, 18th, fifth, 18th, a lot of times, uh, but never quite won it. Um, and then that one, I won in a sprint finish, but it wasn't really a sprint finish because we were knee-deep in mud, <laughs> and it was into a howling wind, uh, and the Ethiopian girl, Gator Wami, that I was racing had sat behind me the whole way, so she didn't know what the wind was like, so she passed me. I thought, now nah, you've got it. And then I came back at her. <laughs> Um, and so that was really, really special to me because it took so long and I was starting to think, never actually going to be able to do it. And so to be able to win that, that race there was very special. The other one was um, 8.22 in Monaco because um, I never thought I could run that fast. Um, and it was my first race at back after w uh, winning the London Marathon and moving to the marathon, and I ran way quicker than I ever thought I would do. So that was a, a huge, huge highlight. Um, and then I actually probably would pick Manchester in 2002 um, for when I won the Commonwealth Games, 5,000 metres there, um, because I hadn't won a track title. Um, and then to come out in Manchester in a home games with that atmosphere was very, very special. It really did feel like the whole crowd was just supporting me. Um, so it was a, a memory that I never will forget. But there's oh, hang on, hang on. Your world record in the marathon in London, that's not one of your favourites. Well, that's why I said it's really your, hard to pick. Your probably <laughs> iconic 10,000 metres and the track in Munich that we've just been to in 2002 in the rain where you nearly brought, where you really brought the world record because the other world record doesn't, shouldn't really count. Um, <laughs> and you're around with... That, 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 not either. They do. But, uh, okay. They're all yeah. special, but I've got to try and pick some that... All right, well, they're, they're not my favourite. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what? They're not my favourite either. <laughs> Steve, what about you? Oh, I don't have to think about it, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go two, just because that, that is sometimes the audience, because uh, I, I, I won the World Championships in 1983, which was the first, and, and sometimes as a 1,500-metre runner, and these guys will know a little bit about, you know, you've, you go in with a plan, and often those plans go out the window, and you just have to adapt, and you do, you know, you've got to work at the competition. And that was one of the few races where... Um, there was, uh, was Ovette and Steve Scott and there was a new guy called Cider Wheater and, and I'd done a bit of homework, Brendan had done a bit of spying and you know, we sort of knew, because everyone goes into a 1500 metre race, are they going to go hard from the start, is it going to kick, what am I going to do and, that, you know, and it actually all worked out in, as though all of the actors knew their lines you know, and I came through and won. <laughs> so you're like, you're, as though you dreamt it you know, and kind of, hey that's how it's meant to happen, thanks guys. Um, so it was one of them, you know, to do that on the, on the biggest stage and have that. But I think, uh, funny enough, for people around me and, you know, who I grew up with and my coach and things. So I grew up, anyone heard of Roger Bannister? Mm. Okay, yeah, kids, go home, Google it. Um, 
You know, I grew up with my coach making me read books about Roger Bannister um, and then people like you know, John Landy and then Peter Snell and Herb Elliott. These are all world mile record holders. And then I start my formative years, 15, 16, suddenly we've got two British guys suddenly then joining that club. And I so wanted to be in that club, break the world mile record. Um, and, and I did in Oslo in... I can't remember now. Uh, 1985. 1985. You did, you did three in nine days. Thanks, Fast. Yeah. Good, yeah. Three world records so, in nine days. It's just showing off. 19. <laughs> You've 19. reminded me 19. now. But yeah, so, no, no, the point about that was my, my, German, you know, my mother was German and my German family had come to that event. My coach cried his eyes out, you know, because although I'd won the worlds and different things, you're running the mile world record. And since then, um, the club thing came about because we've had lots of... I mean, sadly, Sir Roger Bannister isn't with us anymore, but we had lots of anniversaries where all the world mile record holders, with the exception of one, and I'll let you guess who that might be, came from around the world while they were all still alive. Or some of the people I've mentioned, Gunder Haag even before Roger... And these are names you won't know. But then in later years, John Walker of New Zealand and Seb and um, myself. El Garouge, who is the world record holder still, was a great student and he came. So we did have this kind of social gathering every five years or so until Roger passed away, which was lovely. So, yeah, I think... Um, and that was one of the nights where... You, these guys will know what I mean, where you just couldn't do anything wrong. You have these yeah. moments in your career where it just... When it's at its most difficult and you're at... You, you, it can seem its most easiest. You know, it just... All those three all nodding, yeah. all of us going... <laughs> <laughs> um, Matty, do you ever find yourself in literally in like a like I mentioned Putney Leisure Centre mm. with some pals and think I'm I'm going to show off <laughs> uh, like there's some people looking over the edge of the book going oh god yeah. I can't and then you, you sort of pretend to and then you go watch this yeah yeah, yeah. I mean I, I remember I was a little bit well I was quite a lot younger and um, I'm from Leeds um, we yeah. <laughs> um, and there was, I can't remember the name of it, but there was like a, it, was like a, it wasn't like a normal swimming pool, like it was like one of those fun pools. And it had a, a few diving boards. It had like a one meter and a three meter springboard. And um, I, I, I did exactly that. Like I, I was with my friends and everyone was thinking they were really good at it and like kind of just jumping in and stuff. And I didn't obviously, I, like I, I was maybe like 12 at the time, maybe mm, 13. And um, I remember, like, I kind of just played it cool, like, didn't know what I was kind of doing, like, walking down the board, like, shaking. And, um, and then did, like, a one, like, one big bounce and then did, like, a two and a half. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then everyone was a bit, like, confused. And I'm pretty... I actually got... <laughs> I, um, the lifeguards were that... Like, they, they said, no, you can't do that. Like, that's... that's, <laughs> like, that's, 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 too, that's too advanced for this place. Like, don't... Don't do that. You're only meant to jump in. I was like, oh, right then. I, I never went back there. <laughs> um, Vic, I know that you're... I don't know if this is common knowledge, but you're thinking about um, changing two wheels for two wheels with an engine. <laughs> but when... I mean, do you, you still cycle, presumably? You know, yep. bits and bobs? I, I do a little. When you're, like, you're there, you've got your helmet on, people don't know it's you. If someone goes past you, are you ever tempted? Well, <laughs> well I mean... It, it's kind of like somehow ingrained in you when you see someone in the distance and you're sort of coming down the road. You think, don't, don't get sucked in, don't get sucked in. But there, I think, yeah, I've got him, I've got him, I've got him. Yeah. <laughs> and and I, 
actually, I had a situation a, a couple of years ago where there's this small climb in the Chilterns, and it's, you know, it's quite, a lot of the local cyclists go there and do efforts up it because it's a nice little winding, tree-covered hill. And I see this guy, and I can't see the equipment he's using, and I'm like, yeah, he's taking it quite seriously there. And I'm sucked in. Um, I overtake him, and as I overtake him, immediately goes, starts crunching his gears, and you think, I know your game, mate. Crunching them desperately. Oh, 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 making excuses. Oh, I must have been asleep there. And I was thinking, no, mate, no. Yeah. Uh, so he accelerates back past me, and I thought, right. <laughs> He's going to turn on the first left or the first right, guaranteed, because I could see he was blowing, the knees were going, the arms were going, and I just kept my pace and was like, turn right, look around the corner, stop with his foot down. I was like, yes, yes, (laughs) I know you, don't risk it. Always be very cautious. I I might have a ponytail, but I could still kick your ass. (laughs) (laughs) Steve, I once did um, Fulham Palace Park Run with my daughter wearing that T-shirt you gave me for coming talking and, and talking at your running camp. Steve does these brilliant running camps, and, and, and he gives you a nice T-shirt if you come and talk. Um, Steve Cram, running camp. And so I finished, and the barcode scanner says, oh, it's Steve Cram. I obviously went, yep. I can't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Have you ever had a, a situation, I don't know, similar, where people sort of don't know who you are? Uh, all the time. <laughs> no, do you know what um, No, um, and this is not a name drop, but the most spectacular one of those was, I was cause I, only because I was telling this story to some of the guys last night. Um, does anyone remember the Royal It's a Knockout thing? Yeah. It wasn't as bad as the media made out, but anyway, we, we had a lot of fun, okay? And there was celebs invited from all over the world. You know, like people, I mean, we've been all get lucky. You'll, you'll still have more of it. You get to do cool things, don't you? And meet cool people. And um, So the first day, we were all kind of getting to meet our team. And I think I was in Princess Anne's team. I think we were the yellow team. I can't remember now. Anyway, so um, we all have been asked to kind of gather in a marquee, but not dissimilar to this, for a bit of lunch and get to know each other. And we've got costumes. We've been fitted out with costumes. So... I knew a few people, and I ended up with a table. Meatloaf was on the table. I know, great. And I'd been chatting to him, and um, Walter Payton, the great running back, was, was there, and he was, loved track and field, and I'd recently broken the world mile record, right? So it's like, oh, yeah. anyway, chatting, chatting, chatting. And then a person comes and sits down and brings his food and sits down next to me. It's Christopher Reeve, okay? Superman. Um, and the Superman movies were, had just been... And he sits down and goes, hi, I'm Christopher. I go, hi, I'm Steve. Yeah, of course you are. Um, <laughs> so everyone's chatting, and he's been very polite. So he starts to go, so Steve, what do you do? You know? I go, oh, well, uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a runner. Oh, cool. Now, all Americans, any Americans here, everyone at high school, in America, everyone, you know, they do track at high school, and a lot of them do the miles. So he starts to go, so what event do you do? I goes, I run 1,500 in the mile. Oh, cool, I used to run the mile. So we have a little bit of a conversation about the mile. And gradually, the rest of the table start to shut up. <laughs> because they're enjoying the fact that Christopher is kind of, you know, hasn't got a clue and is going... So eventually he goes, so, you know, what, what sort of times do you run the mile in? <laughs> so I go, 
Well, you know, under four. Wow, under four minutes. I remember when. Yeah, no, no. He goes, exactly what time do you do that? I goes, 3.46.32. <laughs> He's gone, wow, that is so fast. Like, everyone is quiet now. And then he went, <laughs> his worst question was, so what's the world record these days? <laughs> <laughs> and bless him, everybody did what you just did around the table then. They all laughed. And, and I said, actually, I'm the world record holder. And he's a big guy, Christopher Reeve. And he got the tablecloth and he pulled it over his head <laughs> and slid under the table because I'm so embarrassed. Yeah, anyway, he's, yeah, I was, that was probably the, it, a bit name-dropping, but yeah, it happens. Tony Cossey was once on a flight, the football player, and, um, and he, was, he was next to this American. I think he was on his way to the 2010 World Cup in South Africa. It's a long, old flight. And this American goes, where are you from? From Scotland. Oh, wow, you guys are terrible at football. I remember I was there in Atlanta in you know, 1991 when, when we beat you 3-0. You invented the game. You're no good at this. In fact, I was there in 2000 when, when we beat you 1-0 in, you know, in, in, in Edinburgh. Have you ever beaten us? And he goes, yeah, we, we, we did. We beat you in, um, in, in, in 96 in, um, in New York, 1-0. He goes, and how would you know a thing like that? I scored the goal. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> the Americans got yeah. 12 hours next to them. Yeah. <laughs> um, Porter, I love the story about you buying socks in Nike Town in New York. I'm not even I sure they were. I know you're very modest, but can you say it? Um, so, I mean, obviously, I'm sponsored by Nike. I was there to, to run the marathon. I don't even remember what year it was. Um, the time she won it. But I had forgotten to pack. I think it might have been arm warmers or gloves, and I just thought, oh, I'm just going to just going to nip into the store and, and just buy a pair. Uh, and so I was queuing up and, and then handed them over and the guy looked up, but behind, they had the big, full length. <laughs> I'm just like, can I buy those, please? Wait, do they not give you a pair? Yeah. I love that story on so many levels. I think then, the top level is the fact that you went and got your own gloves. Well, they have to be the right ones as well to make oh. sure that they were OK. But then the other time was when I was... Um, we were in uh, Birmingham, and I was trying to come back for the London Marathon the last time in 2015. So we'd been commentating on one of the events, and then I went out along the towpath just to do some reps. And so I'm running along, and I'd passed a barge, uh, and they might have had a little bit to drink, and I'm going to have to tone down the language of this. But uh, as I ran past them, the guy just shouts off the back, well, who the f- do you think you are? Paula Radcliffe. <laughs> <laughs> and I went, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you so much, all of you, for, for, for bothering to turn up and for being so brilliant. Ladies and gentlemen, Matty Lee, Victoria Pendleton, Steve Graham, Paula Radcliffe. All right, I hope you enjoyed that. Sporting superheroes, Matty Lee, Paula Radcliffe, Steve Cram and Victoria Pendleton recorded live at last year's Carfest. If you want to be at this year's Carfest, once again, go to carfest.org to come join us this August bank holiday weekend. All right, thanks so much for listening. Bye-bye.